Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, it's been a long day. I'm recording late into the night, uh, so I don't have the mental energy to come up with a snazzy intro. But we're talking about uh, haunted asylums. In Weston, West Virginia, and Milgeville, Georgia. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 8 of season 5 of Small Town Secrets. And like I said in the intro, uh, I am burning not the midnight oil, the late night oil. Uh, it's like 4.30 a.m. in the morning right now. Uh, like 
nine degrees outside, and apparently like 10 inches of snow is on the way. But no, today has just been a, a long day, a day that just kept going and wouldn't end. Um, so since I've been doing this sort of uh, uploading the show Sundays instead of Saturdays, I've been doing a majority of the show on Saturdays. So, uh, you know, throughout the week, I might do some preliminary research. If I'm reading a book, obviously, I'm going to read the book throughout the week or two. But I've really started just doing most of the show, just burning Saturday on it. Like, I'll get up uh, about two-ish, three-ish, and start compiling notes and, you know, looking for sources on the web, watching videos, you know, reading articles, all of that, and then compiling show notes uh, throughout, you know, all on Saturday, and then uh, finding the news stories and getting all that together. So I usually work on it, so like I said, probably about starting about 2 in the afternoon, 3 in the afternoon. Usually goes to about, you know, somewhere between 10 o'clock, maybe 11 o'clock, and I get everything finally where I want it and ready to go. Uh, and then I'll take like a nap and then wake up about one, one thirty, and then come down and get the show together and get the show out. Uh, so I did all of that today, like I normally do. And then uh, I had a call in. We had an interview that we will get to for uh, the, your small town secret segment. And then after that, there was a, a live stream from Greg and Dana Newkirk uh, that I wanted to watch, which just uh, was great and very interesting. But uh, uh, it was still going at like 1.30, and I just had, no, I think, yeah, like, no, yeah, like 1.30, something like that. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> I have to, like, bat out of this. I'm going to finish watching, watching this one later because I have to get this done. So then I took a nap, uh, and then I took, like, another nap, and I woke up a little bit ago to get the show out. So what's going to happen? It's just way later than normal. Normally, like, at this time, I'm almost done with it. Like, I'm almost to the point to where I'm ready to, like, upload the show. So that's how uh, my Saturday went. I'm not complaining. It's just kind of uh, a different a different approach, approach to it. But tonight, yes, like I said, we're going to talk about... Uh, I keep saying a haunted asylums. I think one is way more haunted than the other simply because I just don't think the other one is given the access to people to get those experiences. I'll talk about it more when we get there, but we're going to talk about two, one being trans Allegheny, uh, and the, in Western West Virginia. And the other one, uh, simply called central state hospital. One of many that are called central state hospital. Like there's one in Kentucky called that. There's one, I think in the, in uh, Pennsylvania or something called that. There's a there's a couple of them with the same name lying around. But we're talking about the one in Milledgeville, Georgia, which uh, I believe at one time was the largest asylum, mental hospital, whatever, whatever it was called throughout the years at the time. And uh, that's that's what I've got for the show tonight. Uh, you find out very quickly when looking into these, they all seem to have like the same story they really do like especially like the old ones like the ones that have been around since like the 1800s which both of these are they all started out with 
uh, well, I want I want to say pretty good intentions, especially for the time that they started out in. Progressive, there were some progressive ideas for both of these, and then just quickly devolved into an overcrowded, depressing, terrifying mess until about the sixties, when we realize that that's not the way to go about it, and uh, we kind of start trying to right the wrong, but the damage has already been done. Like, so many of these places are like that. Both of the ones I'm going to talk about the night are like that. And then you think about other ones like Willow Brook, who's probably the most famous one, the one in New York that, you know, Rivera, Geraldo Rivera, like, did an expose on everything. The, the exact same story. Uh, and I'm sure there's other ones. Uh, one of them I'll probably get into on the Patreon episode. Don't know which one yet, but it'll be another, it'll be another, uh, Asylum with some spooky ghost stories, and I just have a gut feeling that whichever one I choose, it will have the uh, exact same issues as these two did. Uh, so look forward to that if you're on Patreon. If you're not on Patreon and you would like to uh, listen to that and all the other ones that I have done, uh, you can do that. Go to uh, patreon.com slash sdscast or go to the support tab on the uh, uh, the website at stscast.com. And you can get that extra show, or add free versions of this show, or access to the music, stickers, uh, buttons, all sorts of other stuff like that. Uh, you can check it out, and if it's, see if it's something you would like to get into, and help uh, support the show and all of that. It would be really great. So, I think that's it. I think that's a good intro. I'm just going to get into it. We are going to talk first about uh, Trans Allegheny, which, I'm going to put this on Twitter before we get into it. I'm going to put a, a poll on Twitter because I'm curious to see how many people are as uh, thick as I am. Uh, the first time I ever heard Trans-Allegheny, you know, before I knew what it was, like just, you know, heard it on whatever, uh, I I thought it had something to do with trains. It sounds like, doesn't it? It sounds like a train yard or a train station or something. And like... You know, the first time it ever popped up on my radar or anything before ever looking into what it is, I'm like, that has to have something to do with trains. Uh, but nope, it's not. It's a mental hospital. But yes, Trans-Allegheny, first, first on the docket uh, for tonight. Hi there, I'm Logan. And I'm Lindsay. And we host the new podcast, Folklore on the Rocks, where we talk about folklore and lesser-known creatures, cryptids, and monsters from around the world. So when we say lesser-known, we mainly mean that we won't be covering creatures like Bigfoot or Nessie or Chupacabra, just because they're discussed so often, and the world just has so many other awesome options to draw from. Every two weeks, we will be diving deep into the legends and culture that surround a specific creature, and getting a little bit tipsy while we do so. But don't worry, we do our research sober. <laughs> On the weeks in between, we're going to be narrating and discussing folktales. Some will be historical folklore from the regions that our creatures are from, and some will be modern folklore, such as no sleeps and creepypastas. Ooh. You can find out more about us on our website, FolkloreOnTheRocks.com, on Facebook and Instagram at FolkloreOnTheRocks, on Twitter at FolkloreRocks. So grab a drink, join us, and come on, let's dig deep together. Weston is a small town in Lewis County, West Virginia. And like so many other towns, little towns, in West Virginia, it holds a haunting secret. 
It's the home of the infamous Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, or uh, TALA for short, T-A-L-A. The hospital began construction in 1858, but was halted during the Civil War. Once the war ended and uh, West Virginia was brought back into the U.S., government funds were finally released and the construction was finished. So it was like a whole thing. You know, the the Confederate state of Virginia wanted to take those funds and use it for the war effort and da-da-da-da-da. And I think, like, uh, what was it? <laughs> like, the Ohio Regiment came in and, like, took the money and kept it away from all this. I actually have an article, I, I believe... Let me look and see which one it is. I, I think it's in the America's Most Haunted article... Or maybe the onlyinyourstate.com article. One of those two. I can't remember off the top of my head which one it is. But one of those really gets into that whole thing about, you know, where where the money went, who took it, all of that. It really gets into the nitty-gritty of how it got stalled during the Civil War. If you want to read up up more more on that, on that detail itself. But it, it did finally open in October of 1864 but it would not be completed fully until 1881. When the campus was uh, completed, it had waterworks, a dairy farm, uh, and even a cemetery. The campus size would reach 666 acres upon completion. And even though it's referred to today as the Trans-Allegheny or the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, It was uh, not called that when it opened. It was called the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane before it changed its name to uh, just Weston State Hospital in 1913. It was never actually officially referred to as Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum until it was sold in 2007. So not until it became like uh, a private uh, entity, a private property and kind of open to the public was it referred to its actual name like that was the name that was proposed uh, but it was never officially on record as being called Trans-Allegheny Lugentic Asylum until until it was uh, kind of done with life like many other mental health facilities that have been around for such a long time uh, the uh, Trans-Allegheny suffered many of the same issues like I said earlier the hospital was built to hold only 250 patients. And that was kind of the thing. It was built by, uh, it was proposed and kind of built by a man named Kirkbride who had built other facilities. And that was his whole approach was uh, let these people have freedom to move around, give them space, give them time. So they were actually, you know, it didn't have a lot of rooms, but it had big spacious rooms comfortable rooms, and that was his whole approach, Uh, but of course, the overcrowding starts. That's what always starts, is the overcrowding. By 1880, it was housing 717 patients. It hit its peak of 2,600 in 1949. And so what you see, and you'll see it with both of these, is that it just becomes a place for society to just drop off whomever 
it doesn't want to deal with, you know. Yes, some people had mental health issues. Some people were just epileptics. Some people were drug abusers. Some people essentially were put in things, put in there for things like a novel reading and quote unquote female diseases. Just really, you know, you, you had you had a kid that you couldn't deal with that you didn't want to. You could you could drop him off at the asylum. Perhaps you had uh, someone, anyone that for some reason you need to keep them quiet. You need them out of the way. Well, drop them off at the asylum. It just became, like I said, a dumping ground that I think that probably half of the people, at least, that were in there overcrying the place probably never needed to be in there in the first place. During the peak of overcrowding, patients who could not be controlled found themselves locked in cages. This often erupted in violent episodes. And these conditions were also very poor. The whole place was uh, dimly lit. It had poor sanitation, terrible sanitation, and uh, it had really bad heating. Like, you know, you had so many people that you can't account for them all. And you're, you know, they're just sleeping on the floor during the cold West Virginia winters, during the hot West Virginia summers. You're not a great place to be. And uh, so during the 1950s, with the help of Dr. Jackson Freeman, many of the patients were given lobotomies in order to get them out the door uh, and relieve some of the overcrowding. Perhaps some were given uh, one whether they needed it or not. Freeman conducted 228 lobotomies on site using his ice pick method, which is exactly how it sounds. He used he either used an ice pick or an instrument that he had modeled to pretty much be an ice pick to simply just, you know, puncture the brain by going through uh, your orbital socket. This massive operation of lobotomies became known as Operation Ice Pick. As the years went on, the stigma around mental health decreased and the understanding around, around it increased and the Trans-Allegheny saw the overcrowding edge further and further down. Then, in May of 1994, Trans-Allegheny closed its doors, due in most part to a new hospital in town known as uh, the William R. Sharp Jr. Hospital. So a much more modern facility, uh, larger, better, better built to uh, handle mental health patients. There it sat vacant, abandoned, until 2007, when it was purchased via auction for $1.2 million by a Joe Jordan. Since then, it has been open to the public as both a historic site and a haunted one. Since its doors have been open to ghost hunters from all over the country, many have witnessed various entities and have heard sounds of countless people suffering within its walls. And uh, here's a couple, couple of examples. There's an entity known only as Slewfoot, who seems to be that of a vicious killer who likes to lash out at people from some of the upstairs bathrooms. Another darknet entity who does not have a name also likes to haunt 
the seclusion cell. And then there is the most active and well-known ghost at Transallegheny, the ghost of young Lily. Lily spent most of her childhood at Transallegheny, and no one could say for sure where Lily came from. One story says that she was born in the hospital. Her mother was a patient. Another story goes that she was dropped off at the hospital, abandoned by her parents. In both of these stories, Lily died around the age of nine from pneumonia and lived her entire life at Transallegheny. There's a third story uh, that suggests that her mother was dropped there in the 1860s by her father. This story goes, and I am giving you a trigger warning now because it's not like uh, great, that she was sexually assaulted by a group of soldiers and became pregnant. She gave birth to a child who lived only a short time, and in the years after the child and the mother's death, employees at Transallegheny came to know both entities and they named the child Lily after her death. This story is widely believed, but it's actually a short story written by Stephen Wagner for a contest to help promote a Ghost Hunters live TV event at Transallegheny. So if you hear that one, you can brush it off, brush it off to the side. Still, there are some, some records that tell us that there were pregnant women admitted to Transallegheny. And with the overcrowding and all of that, I'm sure that record keeping was bare minimum at best. So there could have been a child named Lily who lived there, and we may really never find concrete evidence of it one way or the other. Perhaps the name Lily was derived from psychics who have investigated the hospital. Whatever the story, however the name came to be, there seems to be an entity of a child who loves to play games, such as turning on and off flashlights and music boxes. EVPs have been caught of a little girl. One of the better ones that was captured was captured by Shelley Bailey, uh, who, was a, who was a historian uh, in town, and it seems to say, thank you for the snacks, after she left Lily a box of Cracker Jacks as a gift. Lily seems to hang out in her own room, a room on the first floor, dubbed, of course, Lily's room. This room, if you visit it now, is full of toys and other offerings to the child spirit who seems to like the attention. So my thing with Lily is, and I, I'm thinking about this more and more, uh, that just because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter if Lily existed or not, over the years, enough energy and enough thought has been put into this that, yes, maybe she's an entity or a ghost of a nine-year-old girl who died of pneumonia, or maybe she is just this thought form that we have created over the years, and now we have manifested it as an actual thing. And uh, we've given it this personality, and it doesn't make it any less paranormal. It doesn't make it any less uh, intriguing, but rather, rather she's a historical thing, a 
historical figure, an actual person or not, uh, there's something there, and there's something that responds to that story and the name of Lily. Trans-Allegheny is still open to the public, and now uh, you can book, you know, you can book tours, historical tours, ghost tours. Uh, I'll, I have the, I have their website linked in the show notes. The money made off of the tours and the merchandise and all of that is is being used to renovate the whole building, which is a historical landmark. And that is uh, the tale of of Trans-Allegheny. When all this is over and we're allowed to kind of, you know, travel around again, um... This isn't, I don't think this is super far from me. It'd be a little bit of a drive, but I bet I could get there. And so I think I, I would, I think we're going to get down there, hopefully, and take one of these tours when all this COVID stuff is out of the way. But that was Trans-Allegheny. Let's uh, dig into Central State Hospital and uh, see, see uh, a very similar story to uh, Trans-Allegheny. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Milchville is the county seat of Baldwin County in Georgia, and much like Western West Virginia, it too has a hospital with a haunting and infamous reputation, a place simply called Central State Hospital. The hospital opened as the Georgia State Lunatic, Idiot, and Epileptic Asylum in December of 1842. It has also been referred to over the years as the Milledgeville State Hospital and Georgia State Sanitarium. But in modern times, it has been dubbed Central State Hospital. The hospital was built due to a bill introduced by then Governor Wilson Lumpkin. And this was a thing that was kind of going on all around the country at the time. There was some prison reform and things like that uh, becoming popular kind of in the mid-1800s to separate you know, people in the prison system from people who needed to be in some sort of hospital and build more of these more of these asylums and more of these hospitals and all of that. So, Central State Hospital was the result of that bill and was built in Milledgeville, which, at the time, was the state capital. The hospital was opened under the supervision of Dr. Thomas Green, who adopted a family-like atmosphere. Patients were never kept in restraints, and Dr. Green even ate lunch with both patients and staff. Even though the hospital started with the best of intentions, over the years, it became the drop-off point once again for anyone that society just didn't want to deal with. It got to the point that just labeling someone as acting funny, quote-unquote, was enough to get them sent to Central State. By the late 50s and into the 60s, the hospital grounds had grown to over 2,000 acres with some 13,000 patients at its peak. So, I mean, you think, oof. I think of this one time, like I said, this was the largest, uh, mental hospital in the country by this time. This massive overcrowding left the ratio of staff to patients at 100 to 1, with none of them being a psychiatrist. At this time, there was no psychiatrist on staff. There were psychologists and other people, but uh, no psychiatrist to be seen. When these patients were treated, once again, quote-unquote, they often received treatments such as electroshock, ice baths, and of course, lobotomies. These were the treatments at the time. In 1959, journalist Jack Nelson wrote an expose about Central State Hospital. In it, he reported about the appalling conditions and the overcrowding. It was even found out that some of the medical staff had been pulled and hired 
from the patient list. The inmates were literally running this asylum at one point. He also found out that a nurse had performed major surgeries on patients without any doctor supervision and as well found a doctor who worked for a pharmaceutical company, he moonlighted there, was distributing experimental drugs unbeknownst to the people receiving them. So he was just testing drugs on people, not telling them what it was, and just experimenting on these people with experimental drugs. Nelson's expose, of course, was panned by the hospital superintendent, but Jack Nelson would go on to win a Pulitzer for his expose. After word got out, reform after reform took place around Georgia. More modern facilities opened around the state, and since then, the need for Central State became fewer and fewer. Many of the dozens of buildings on campus are now closed, and up until a few years ago, a handful of buildings were in use. Some were used as a prison, one was used as a nursing home, and another, the Cook Building, served as a facility for forensic patients, which is just a place where people who were deemed not to be able to stand trial or not, you know, not be able to understand the charges against them would stay. There is also a cemetery on site known as Cedar Lane. The cemetery, uh, once again, it is a cemetery, but not in the way we're thinking. It's lined with row after row of metal stakes. However, these stakes are not unmarked graves, but are just a memorial to the some 25,000 bodies buried on campus. Today, only really the Cook Building for the forensic patients remains open, and some minor like custodial stuff and some record keeping stuff, probably for the whole state, that's about it. Uh, and that's all. It's, it's mainly closed, but there is a little bit of life in one or two of the buildings. And if you go there, you can take a 90-minute trolley tour of the campus or a self-guided tour. Uh, no, like, ghost tours or anything like that because many of the grounds are still off-limits to the public there and haven't had any real paranormal investigations. But, of course, strange entities and voices and, uh, you know... Uh, spectral sounds, all of that have been heard by patients, have been heard by workers over the years. And with its past history and thousands of bodies under the ground, I find it hard to believe that there is not some sort of paranormal energy roaming around all the abandoned halls of Central State Hospital. And I know this one doesn't have like the ghostly uh, reputation the Trans-Allegheny does, and so many others do, and I think that's just because, like I said, you, they, they won't let, they don't let people in there. There are a bunch of buildings, like it's, um, you know, it's thousands of acres, not thousands, but, I mean, it gets close to about 2,000 acres. It's got buildings all over the place, buildings that I'm sure no one spends any time in, and so I'm, I'm willing to bet that if you were able to get into one, with proper permission, of course, and do, like, an investigation, you would find so much just dormant energy laying around that it would, I mean, it would be, I would say it would be an incredible place to go 
especially if you were the first people to like get access to it so yeah like it i mean i'm sure it has its fair share of stories uh but i couldn't really find any individual stuff i couldn't find nothing stuck out like a lily or a slew foot at central state hospital but i'm willing to bet i'm willing to bet uh those entities are there they just are it's just the energy is probably so dormant uh, just waiting to kind of be stumbled upon and discovered but those are the stories of the Trans Allegheny and uh, Central State Hospital. I think you know what I think I'm going to do now after reading this and doing it. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do for the Backroads podcast, which is the Patreon exclusive podcast. I think uh, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, Doctor Doctor Jackson Freeman on it, and we'll get into uh, him and his whole history with the lobotomy and all of that on the Patreon episode. I think that would be that'd be a good subject to tackle for that. But there you go. Uh, two uh, asylums, as they were called, mental hospitals, if you will, uh, in the books for the show. And I bet I could probably get another episode or two out of these places all around the country stuff. There's, there's, there's plenty of them, I'm sure. But let's uh, listen to uh, some music, have uh, an intermission. I am working on a new guitar track. I just have not had a chance to sit down and really record it yet. So there will be a, hopefully a new track uh, by the season uh, finale coming up next episode. But I'll be back. I'm going to take a little break. And uh, we'll get into uh, the local headlines after this.
And our first story, our first article is from centraldaily.com by Mark Price. The headline reads, Ghost or glare? Creepy photos from dark New Hampshire cemetery trigger online debates. A good old-fashioned ghost sighting is being debated in southern New Hampshire after a series of photos suggested something creepy may have been lurking within the shadows in the 250-year-old Pine Hill Cemetery. The images were shot in the middle of the night and the cemetery in Hollis is notorious for being haunted. So, Tyler Karnassos has all the right paranormal boxes checked before sharing the pictures on Facebook with that 72,000 followers. Something resembling a woman in a veil emerged when the photos were enhanced. Karnassos wrote January 23rd on the, on the You Local New Hampshire group page. In the last image, I circled the outline of what appears to be a sort of shadowy, ghostly figure, he wrote. Let me know what you think, New Hampshire. The post has since been reviewed nearly 12, has since received, I'm sorry, received nearly 1,200 reactions, comments, and shares, along with local media coverage. Many among the commenters are sure it's a spirit, and including a few who enlarged the image to show it had a rather skeletal face. This is definitely a woman ghost in a wedding gown, Tanya Abbott wrote. I believe it. My son and I witnessed an apparition in that cemetery many, many years ago. It's well known for strange sounds and sightings, Susan uh, Labry said. Looks like a female child, long hair and a long sleeve shirt, walking away. Kit Kat Sousa posted. Skeptics have also commented, sharing their own theories. Uh, it was a shadow, a smudge, or a camera, or a camera flash bouncing off of a tombstone. It doesn't really look like any of those things, to be honest. It's either a light orb, or more likely just a flash bounce from a temperature change between your pocket and the outside, Catherine S. Dragonfly suggested. Look, ghosts aren't real, Chris B. wrote. But Karanasos, a healthcare worker, told McClatchy News he believes that it is an apparition. I see a woman in a long cloak or dress of some sort, he said. The photos were taken as Karanasos and a friend indulged in their shared interest of all things spooky that led them to Pine Hill Cemetery, also known as Blood Cemetery, after dark one night last summer. A few of the comments on Karanasos' post identify themselves as paranormal investigators, but Karanasos says he's not encouraged them to visit the cemetery. I don't believe anything there needs to be explored. I'd rather them leave it in peace, Karanasos said. I don't believe anyone should bring instruments or use of any sort of a ritual to try and speak to uh, whomever is there. And yes, interesting photos. I don't think it's a smudge or anything on the lens because it almost looks like whatever it is is behind another marker, another tombstone in the foreground. It'd be interesting to see pictures taken of the same spot, kind of the same angle, like during the day, to see, because it does have, it does, I will say this, it has the same kind of texture and color as the stones around it. So it may be a reflection. It would be interesting to, like I said, to take a picture during the day, because if you look at it long enough, you, it almost looks like a tombstone itself, but it doesn't, it isn't shaped very, uh, what, what's the word I want? It's not shaped very uniformly or in the way that you think a stone would be. 
but it does have that look to it. I would like to see day pictures, like I said. But I like I like that I like that story. I like those pictures. They are interesting to look at for sure. This next one seems fitting. A paranormal attraction opens doors to new patients. Quote in Williamson. This is from WOWKTV.com. Uh, this is written by Natalie uh, Waitis, and this is from Williamson, West Virginia. If you're into spooky experiences and have a fascination with things that go bump in the night, locals in Williamson, West Virginia, are opening an attraction that may be right up your alley. I believe there are some strange things that go on in this building, more than just little sounds that a building makes. I think there's something about this place, and that's from Charles Hatfield, the mayor of the city of Williamson, West Virginia. The old hospital on College Hill officially opened Friday as a paranormal and historical tourist attraction with a ribbon cutting. Originally opened on March 2, 1928, the hospital remained in use until 1988. In fact, many locals still have ties to the place. Co-owner Tanya Webb is one of them. It was an emotional connection. I was actually born in this hospital in 1973. I lost two grandparents that I uh, never actually met in this hospital. I didn't want to see it dilapidate and maybe turn into nothing and just kind of rot. And that's from Tanya Webb, the co-owner. Instead, it will become historical and haunted site for uh, tours, ghost tours, and more. I believe it will bring maybe up to 25,000 or more people to this community that would not have been here before, says Charles Hatfield mayor of the city of Wilmington, West Virginia. And not only do the new owners of the hospital hope it becomes a prominent paranormal tourist attraction for the area, they are hoping to preserve some local history. When I found out these buildings were coming up for sale, it was important for me not only to preserve Williamson's history and this country's history, but to save a little bit of my history as well. Tanya Webb, co-owner of the old capital old hospital on College Hill. They are already planning on doing events and weddings at the old hospital. For more information on these events and the location itself, you can visit their websites, which they have linked there in their news stories. Uh, maybe if I ever get down to going to like Trans-Allegheny or a thing, I, maybe I'll need to stop here on the way there or on the way back. And our final story is from Corian Press, uh, written by John Webb. And this headline reads, An EPD officer saw strange lights over the city, and no one knows what they were. You could hear the shock in, in Trendon Demokshi's voice. What are those lights, the Evansville police officer said as he stared at the sky above the southeast side of Evansville Monday night. What are those, man? He and his partner were parked near the intersection of Governor Street and Swister Avenue, Swister Avenue, when they spotted a string of blinking white lights. They shimmied across the blackness in an orderly yet chaotic line as if Orion's belt had guzzled a gallon of coffee. Damachi filmed the sighting and posted it to Facebook with the caption, UFO? The EPD's official account shared the video around 10 p.m., sparking a flurry of shares and comments. One of our officers may have found something uh, from out of this world, the post read. Don't worry, though. We'll be keeping an eye out 
for little green creatures tonight. As far as we know, no creatures materialized Monday, and although several guesses is burned across social media, no one can offer a definitive answer as to where the lights came from. On Tuesday, spokesman Sergeant Nick Winsett said the EPD had yet to figure out the origin, and Leslie Fella, director of marketing and air service for Evansville Regional Airport, was shocked to see the lights when I sent her a link to Demachi's video. EVV hadn't been notified of any special aircraft transversing the skies on Monday. Oh wow, very interesting and strange indeed, she said via email after seeing the footage. This is the first time I've heard or seen of it, and no, we aren't aware of anything in the area, although unless commercial, we always are made aware. Scott Air Force Base in Western Illinois couldn't, Illinois, I'm sorry, couldn't provide any answers either when I called on Tuesday. Officials in both public affairs and base operations had no knowledge of an air exercise that could have produced the lights. A request for comment from Fort Campbell in Kentucky wasn't returned. My partner and I definitely felt uneasy after seeing the lights, Damaki told me in a Facebook message the day after the sighting. They thought the lights were hovering over the state line in Kentucky, so they bolted down to Marina Point to get a better look. But by the time they arrived, the lights were gone. I was surprised that we didn't receive any calls, he said. Or if we did, they weren't dispatched, since there would be nothing we could do about them. All that was left to do was guess at the origin, something plenty of Facebook users were happy to do. In the video, Damaki himself wonders if the lights came from uh, drones. He saw some on social media blame Black Hawk helicopters and satellites. Others even posted their own strange footage. The satellite explanation may hold some weight. SpaceX, a company owned by Tesla founder and all-around strange dude Elon Musk, has been launching what it calls Starlink satellites into orbit for several months now. In the sky, they can look like an immense pearl necklace and according to Musk, they sometimes blink when they first climb through the atmosphere. Once they are in orbit, when they can be seen, the blinking is supposed to stop, Musk told a C4, I don't even know how to say this, C4, Ersnet? C4 Ersnet? A digital magazine that covers technology and the military. The lights that shined over Evansville do bear some resemblance to Starlink satellites, but their rapid movements set them apart. Maki sent me a zoomed in angle of the video he posted to Facebook. You can see the lights flash in line like Christmas bulbs, which is much different from Starlink satellites, according to the footage you can find online. They inch across the sky in an unblinking row like a parade of Pac-Man pellets. We may never get a concrete answer as to what appeared over Evansville Monday. Some cosmic anomalies over the years have been cleared up with ho-hum explanations. When a bizarre, storm-like blip shot across the Evansville area weather maps during a rainless day in 2018, it turned out to be an Air Force C-130 that had dumped a slew of radar-blocking chaff over the tri-state area. But some have never been explained, including the scores of apparent UFO sightings that have dodged our region for decades. My first thought was a drone, Phyllis said, but it's really hard to tell. Good luck. I will be sure to follow as the mystery unfolds. And uh, that was a good one to throw in. Uh, I like they they treated it pretty seriously, and uh, it kind of harkens back to the episodes did about like uh, cops seeing UFOs, you know, from 
Socorro, New Mexico, and Lonnie Zamora, who was a cop out there. You know, we just just talked about that a little bit ago. But that has been this episode's local headlines. And tonight for the Your Small Town Secrets segment, I bring you an interview. I'm talking with Robin Valentine about a very interesting experience she had on the road up in between San Francisco and Santa Rosa and uh, her current rabbit hole obsession with uh, where she lives right now. So we talk about all of that. Uh, Then we talk about, we start talking tarot. She has a book coming out. She's a witch, a blogger, tarot reader. And her book, Magical Tarot, is coming out May 11th, and you can pre-order it, all that. Uh, We get into it on the interview, but I will link in the show notes uh, where you can pre-order it, where you can get it, the contest that they are running for it, all of that great stuff. So have a listen, and I'll come back when it's over to close out the show. I have two things to talk about. All right. Um, it depends on which one you want me to start with. I can start with like a scary story that actually happened to me, and or I can tell you about my obsession of where I live. <laughs> um. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Yeah. Go that way. That'll work. Okay. So. Also, um, mail is open. I'm gonna get a bunch of dings. Hold on. <laughs> close this real quick. Okay. All right. Yeah. Start with so, the scary one. We'll go from there. The scary one. Okay. So I am originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. and I lived in a major city for a really long time. And I, city? San Francisco. I, I, I'm from yeah. San Francisco, oh, okay. but um, this happened like right outside of San Francisco in a I town called in, Santa Rosa. I lived in Hayward for like three oh, okay. months. My uncle lives in Hayward. He's lived there for like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> It is um, probably one of the shittier towns. I'm not gonna lie, yeah. but they have. But some hey, reasons. I could walk to a Taco Bell, like, <laughs> which is probably like a bad gay idea. Area have... and you choose Taco Bell. <laughs> well, it was. What could I walk to? Taco Bell or Hardee's? Like literally, there was a uh, Hardee's. Excuse me. Excuse me. That is Carl's Jr. Hardee's. Or Carl's Jr. Yeah. <laughs> not even probably not even a football fields away from the apartment. Like. On the same block, and like living that in a town like, where you can't walk to anything. Yeah, that is the <laughs> makes that kind of a bad idea. You yep. throw a rock, and you can hit like fifteen different mm-hmm, restaurants. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> um. Okay, so I I am originally from the Bay Area, and I don't live there now, but mm-hmm. I, that's where I'm from originally. And I would have ghost experiences all the time when I lived in that area, to the point that I was like certain I was like schizophrenic or something. It was like happening so frequently. I like went in and got like cognitive tests. Cause I was like, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. I was like, that has, this, this has to be me. You know what I mean? Um, I'm normal, I guess. Well, you know, normal's relative, but there's nothing wrong with my brain firing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was driving home this one night. And at the time I was working, in Sonoma County, which is just north of San Francisco. And so I would have to drive from Sonoma County to San Francisco like every night. And I was working in a mental health uh, outpatient clinic. So I would work overnights and then I'd have to drive home. And I'm driving home one night and all of a sudden it's like 
don't know, I want to say like four in the morning. Um, I see like a person on the side of the road and they are like hurt. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like I'm thinking like, I'm going to call 911. Like I go to pull over and then there's nobody there. So of course I'm like, it's four in the morning, Robin. You are hallucinating girl. Like get home. <laughs> like, um, and then this proceeds to continue to happen like the entire way home. Like on the side of the road and it was different people and I'm fully like certain that I'm having like some sort of psychotic episode or something I'm bawling my eyes out right right so turns out I get home I go to sleep I'm like you know maybe you're just sleep deprived that's all that was I'm like telling myself this I get home and I do a little bit of research for something unrelated but it was along that that route and it turns out there was like a major accident there like a week previous and like i was looking it up and the people that i was seeing on the side of the road were people that were in the accident and it was the most bizarre like terrifying situation i ended up quitting that job the next week and selling my car so i never had to do it again It was so bizarre. Like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I had forgotten all about it because I was very traumatized by the whole thing. I had roommates at the time who I'm still very good friends. Right. I was like 22. Um, I'm still very good friends with them. And I went to go visit them back in like November, one of them. And he brings, he brought it up to me. And I was like, I have repressed that memory. so deeply in my brain I forgot all about that and now you're forcing me to relive this shame on you <laughs> okay that's good at least like for a second there was like oh no is no, <laughs> she remember this because of me okay no 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 no. shame on him shame on him right, Boo, right. Jesse. <laughs> um but yeah it was like one of the most traumatic experiences ever and then over the course of the time that I lived in San Francisco I would see things like that Like, Mm -hmm. here and there, it hasn't happened in years. It only happened probably between, like, oh, like, 20 and 26, and I'm 32 this year, so it's been a while. Um, But, like, we had a neighbor who lived in our apartment building. Um, I lived in what is affectionately known as Crystal Tower (laughs) in San Francisco, um, which it was called that because of all the mess that was used in that building uh for the record i do not do drugs <laughs> but because of that we had a lot of people that you know maybe weren't always making the best decisions um and one of our neighbors actually ended his life and i knew about it because he showed up on my balcony in my room and i was like this is something is wrong and i got a call from my housemate who was coming home like, there's a bunch of ambulances outside. Like, somebody's jumped because our building was 30 stories tall. And they're like, somebody's jumped. I don't know what's happened. And every, it was just terrifying. And, yeah, so that, that sort of stuff happened a bunch for, like, six years probably. Yeah. And then So uh, do you think it was more like, do you chalk it up to, like, entities? Or do you think it was more of, like, like a psychic thing like you see the people on the side of the road as like i don't know it's just i find it cool that you were able to finally go back and be like not only did this happen but these are the people yeah the people like, that i saw like 
Yeah, I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't know. I I don't. I believe in psychics 100. Uh-huh. Uh, I fully do. I myself work at a psychic hotline, but I'm a tarot reader on there. I'm not a medium. Right. right, right. I fully yeah. believe in psychics, but I. Especially considering the fact that that only happened for such a short window in my life. I don't believe I am a psychic. I believe that I had an experience where maybe I was more susceptible for a period of time in my life. Maybe because of, I don't know, like the fact that I was working overnights. So like my my internal defenses were lowered or something like that. (laughs) Um, So I could pick up on this stuff easier. Uh, but yeah, it was bizarre. Hmm. And it really, it's its not happened again. Like, not like that ever again. Huh. Weird, is, weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you say you were, you said something about Santa Rosa. Is that where you were driving up to and back from? Yeah. Um, I worked at a outpatient, beha- well, an in, inpatient, but out of hospital behavioral health clinic. So uh-huh. I was a clinician like uh well psych tech i wasn't a clinician i don't want people to think that i'm a doctor (laughs) (laughs) um but i was a psych tech for the state of california forever um yeah and so that's part of the reason why i was like i'm having a psychotic break because i'd seen this happen to other people so many times that i was so hyper aware of it and i was like this is it (laughs) this is it (laughs) because i'm trying to think i went to santa rosa one time to get a beer Back when I drank beer that you could only get there, you uh, know, were you like going to Russian River? huh? Were you going to Russian River? Yes, it was Pliny. Was it yes. Pliny the Younger? Yes. <laughs> I had a friend at the time who he brewed beer, he did all that, and mm-hmm. that was like the one thing like you can't, you know what I mean? I'm like, well, I'll go up and get it. And I, I this was I'm, when I had, I had already figured out like exactly. this whole California experiment isn't working out. I'm gonna have to move back, <laughs> and I knew I was gonna have it, so yeah, I went up there. And grab some of that. So I, I probably drove I'm, the same route, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably. We're very close, close See, to. I it. always stay off of the main, like I five. Well, no, it was one hundred one. I always stayed off that, that when I, yeah, when I, when I was doing overnights because I was like, you know, if I for for you know get too tired or something like that, like it's safer for me to take the back roads. Right. Um, and also for other people around me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, you probably did, or at least came very close to it. Cause yeah. I did the roads that were parallel to the one Oh one. Um, yeah, probably yeah. Was it. Eventually yeah. I got there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was, what was the obsession? What was the other one? The other story. The other, okay. So this is where I live now. This, I'm very excited to talk about this. Because okay. Okay. This has been cast- my entire childhood all the way into adulthood so like I said I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area mm-hmm. however my family originally like before I was born is from Siskiyou County yeah. uh, which is by the Oregon border I don't know if you're familiar with Mount Shasta I'm aware of it I never got a chance to go up there right again, I live right now like 30 miles north of Mount Shasta okay. and give or take um and my whole childhood all i ever heard about was the lumerians living in mount shasta mm-hmm. have you heard about this all? yeah <laughs> yes when when i was growing up i was told that they were aliens like my whole life 
there's aliens living in Mount Shasta, there's aliens living in Mount Shasta. And I just really didn't, I don't know, I didn't think much about it. Right. <laughs> and other than I, that was like something that everyone talked about. And so that was just like a, what's that called? Like when, when everybody says it so often that you don't really, you know, question it, it just becomes like this fact by proxy. Yeah, like it's just right. I know. Like I don't. I can't think of the word for it either. But yeah, it's just. Yeah. That's the way it is, right? Like that's. <laughs> and then we moved up here. So I moved up here because my parents ended up retiring back where they grew up, and uh, my husband and I wanted to be live closer to them. So we moved up here. For now, um, <laughs> I don't know that I can hack it for too much longer, but we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But we moved up here to be closer to them, and uh, because we live so close to Mount Shasta, and it is kind of this touristy town, we mm-hmm. are, like, all the time, and and we still do. And you would see Lumeria stuff everywhere, and I mean everywhere. There's Lumeria coffee. You can get Lumeria, like, mugs and keychains, and I'm like, okay. I thought this was just some crazy shit that my parents talked about when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is the deal with this whole Lumeria thing? And I became kind of obsessed with it. I, I don't want to say like obsessed like in a weird way, but I was sort of researching it and trying to figure out about the whole Lumeria thing. And I'd never had like an experience about the Lumerians or anything like that. It was just this kind of known story that I was mm-hmm. ever talked about. So I started looking into it. Turns out the Lumerians are not aliens, but then they also are at the same time. It's like this weird, like, it depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Half people are confusing the Lumerians with aliens, and they're both stories that they say live in the mountains. The Lumerians were like, it's completely disproven, mind you, but it's mm-hmm. like the lost city of Atlantis with Pangea. Yep. It's where, like, they, it's where they yeah. say uh, lemurs are named yeah. after, right? Because exactly. someone came up with a theory that, like, all the lemurs fled Lemuria, and that's... Frederick Oliver. Author's name, I don't remember when the book came out, but it was, like, the late 1800s, and he wrote a book called A Dweller on Two Planets, mm-hmm. and yep. he claims that, like, Lemuria was a part of Pangea, it's where the lemurs come from, all this stuff. And now the Lumerians live inside Mount Shasta like they claim the lost city of Atlantis does underwater, which right. honestly makes absolutely no sense. Like if there's like our missing link just in a mountain, they could just walk down the mountain and like get to a grocery store. Like I, and Mount Shasta is a volcano. Like, it's a dormant volcano. It's like filled with lava. Right. <laughs> you know, I only have one. I have one joke about Matt, Mount Shasta, and it's Go. probably not funny. But I always tell people that's where the soda mines are. Oh, like does... Shasta, the pop, the soda. <laughs> I always, yeah. No one. <laughs> I know someone that lives out. He's probably listening, and he's probably either cringing or laughing, or he will be listening. And he lives in Livermore, and I, I that's my joke, my one Mount Shasta joke, because that's where all the soda mines are at. But yeah, I'm going to have to write that down. I'm going to have to do a Mount Shasta episode. It's so good. So <laughs> so we've been told all this stuff. I'd done some reading on it. I'd, I'd pretty much 
you know, considered it all just like folklore bullshit, right? Like mm-hmm. urban legend. But then <laughs> three years ago, four years ago, something like that, I was driving actually down to Los Angeles. And if you're driving from Siskiyou County to L.A. County, it's like a 17-hour drive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to do it one time from, like, hey, just to go. Like, and, totally yeah, it was, was going to be, like, 10 hours from Hayward or something. So, yeah, yeah I that totally tracks. Recommend it. Yeah. I totally recommend it. Um, I, it's great because when you're – it's a pretty much a straight shot, and there are the most bizarre places you can stop on the way down. <laughs> um. Like, there's, like, a, an entire restaurant that sells nothing but split pea soup. Like, <laughs> I like, hope you like peas. <laughs> like, different variations of it? Or just, it's, like, that's the only it, thing on the menu? It's the Anderson Split Pea Soup Factory. They mm, sell mm. Uh, split pea soup. Or, that's if you're crazy. feeling a little crazy, split pea soup with ham. It's pretty mm. <laughs> Um, so we're leaving, right? And it's mm-hmm. probably like three in the morning because I just want to get this shit over with. And no exaggeration, the mountain was glowing. That's like, what I've heard, yeah. It was, and I've lived here now for almost five years. And I mean, you can see the mountain from my house, okay? Yeah. And I have never seen it do that. And it was so bizarre. I was like, okay, they've got to be doing construction or something like that, like up there. Because there's like a ski resort up there. Mm-hmm. And it was the wrong time of the year for the ski resort to be open. So I was like, well, maybe they're doing construction. Like I'm trying to justify it, right? But it, it was literally like the whole like mountain, like mid mountaintop area was glowing. And my husband sat there going like, do you see that? And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck is that? So then I end up going online, of course, like the psychopath that I am, and I feverishly, like, research this stuff, and apparently, like, there's, like, UFO sightings that come off Mount Shasta, Oh and yeah, now there's all of a sudden, there's this, like, credibility to what I saw, and it was bizarre. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, they're, what, aliens? I've heard Bigfoot stories from Mount Shasta. Well, Mount Shasta Bigfoot, has it all. Bigfoot lives in Happy Camp. Which is not Mount Shasta, but it's very close. And that is an actual fact, and you cannot change my mind. No, I've never seen Bigfoot, but there's some crazy meth heads that live up there, and I feel like they wouldn't lie to me. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, uh, this is is all Sasquatch country. There is the Redwood Forest, the National Forest. And the and it's the redwoods and the sequoias, and they're not far from us. And supposedly Big, Bigfoot lives there, but it's just this is one cryptozoological heaven apparently that I moved yeah. to and didn't realize yeah. it till I got here. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah it's great. bizarre. Shasta's bizarre. You should if you're going to do an episode on it, you absolutely should. Mm-hmm. It's they there's the alien sightings, the Lumerians who probably live there. There's also the Sacramento headlands uh, for the Sacramento River that comes okay. out, and that is at the base of Mount Shasta. And to the Native American tribes that live there, I'm not going to even try to pronounce the name of the tribe because I will butcher it. But there is three tribes from the area, 
and it was like sacred to them, the headlands. And it supposedly has magical qualities to the water. And not as a practicing witch myself, I cannot tell you what those magical qualities are. Nobody's really been able to give me an answer on that, <laughs> but they're magical. Um, and uh, people come like from all over to collect water from the headlands every day. It's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to do. I'll have to dig up a Mount Shasta episode. It's crazy. It's bizarre, and the water is like crystal clear because it comes from the glaciers on the top of the mountain, Mm -hmm. like coming down. And apparently, it's like like the uh, this is what I've heard from people. Okay, just around the area. This is not a quote of my own, but apparently, uh, the Lumerians will come down from the mountain themselves, dressed as regular people, and collect water from the deck too. You never, you could be, you know, dipping your feet in some crystal clear water right next to an alien. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You literally never know. <laughs> nope. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yes, that will have to be done. No, that's great. Ow. It's I don't know if anyone heard that, but my ankle just snapped. Ow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, the whole area is totally bizarre, and it's just filled with so much folklore and urban mm-hmm. life. And I didn't take any of it seriously, but I was, I knew about all of it growing up as a kid. And so we got up here and I was like, oh, maybe there is some weight to this. <laughs> huh. That is cool. So, so yeah, nice rabbit hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> to fall down in and come back. So I guess, yeah, no, thanks. Um, and before we go too much further. So let's talk about your book. Yes, I have a book coming out May 11th. May 11th, yep. This year, so 2020. 2021, oh my oh. god. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Last year was a fever dream. It just, yeah, it has an asterisk by it, I think. But it comes out May 11th, and it's called Magical Tarot. Um, and the book is essentially a deep dive into the symbolism in the major arcana in tarot, mm-hmm. and how... That information can be reapplied as symbolism in magic because ritual magic of any kind is so chock full of symbolism. Everything means something, which means another thing, and that's why we use it. And the idea behind it is that tarot is so filled with symbolism. Why can't that be used as a ritual tool as well? It's my feeble attempt at hoping to get people to think outside the box, like just a crumb. Right. If I give them that little inch, then they can go, oh, well, maybe I can do this with that. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I agree. <laughs> that'll be, yeah, that'll, I think that'll be a good, that will be a good read when it comes out. Really Thank do. you. I'm excited about it. There's rituals yeah. and spell work in it and spreads, and I cover, like, basic numerology, <laughs> lunar phases, and, like I said, the symbolism of the majors. So... Yeah. If everybody's got a tarot deck, they have the majors. Because I know some people only get the 22 card decks. So I figured if oh. we focus on that, then probably everyone will have it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I have, I guess you could, I guess if you can't, technically I have four decks and they're all just full decks. Because I've got like, 
I've got the stupid itty bitty like small tarot deck that fits on your keychain, you know. <laughs> but it's a full deck. And then I've got like the, the centennial or the ceremony. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, uh, the Rider Weight uh, deck. The the Smith Weight Centennial yeah. deck. And, and I have the Thoth deck laying around here somewhere. But my favorite one I have is a uh, it's called a, a the Murder of Crows deck. I know that deck. Yeah. Yeah. Part and of my job, because I'm also a blogger, part of my job, job is reviewing tarot decks. Review. Yeah. And so I own probably like 250 tarot decks. <laughs> uh, it is actually a problem. Someone please help me. Um, <laughs> I have so many of them. I have so, so many. I couldn't even tell you my top five favorite because I just think they're all great for different reasons. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I can tell you a positive quality about each one, even if it's not like my go-to. Right, like they all have. I'm sure they all, you know, then some people will say that they behave differently. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. And, like, right. you know, you, you, you look at things like cardstock quality and stuff like oh, that, yeah. where you have, like, um, I don't know, you've probably seen it around because it was really popular last year, but there was a, there is a deck called the Modern Witches Tarot deck, and it's a reimagination of the original uh, Rider Waite Smith deck. I think, in that yeah. It, it was really popular last year. I'm sure if you saw it, you would recognize it right away, even if you hadn't, like, put it I think so, together. yeah, if I saw a couple cards. And the card stock for that deck is so thick that it's impossible to shuffle, but the yeah. cards are so beautiful that it's like, I will make this work. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't, so, like, yeah, exactly. So, for example, I have the Thoth deck, and it's, you know, 70, it's the same amount of cards, anything, but, like, compared to that, uh, murder of crows deck which is the same amount of cards the murder of crows deck is twice as high because the card yeah. stock is so thick and yeah yeah you can't sh- you all you can do is that like that lazy shuffle where you just kind of you know and take like, them in your hand and just kind of put them in like front a, of each other yeah i'll put it out like on you know, my bed <laughs> like on a blanket and then i'll yeah. just kind of like just i don't know them around, yeah. them around yeah. <laughs> and then shove it all back together sometimes yeah. And then there'll be other decks where I, I was sent a deck that I will not be named uh, to review. And I said, oh, no, when they sent this to deck to me, I said, I'm not reviewing this because I'm going to be mean and you don't want that. Um, the deck was not only an obscure shape that at least my little hands couldn't hold it properly, but the cardstock quality was so thin. I shuffled it once and the cards bent. And I was just like, and you're charging people money for I'm this? I'm say how much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so bad. I Yeah, I told him, I was like, you can have it back if you want, but I'm not reviewing this. <laughs> so bad. There's your review. I'm not reviewing it. Yeah. Right? Like, do, I've told do you what all you, you need to know that. about what I'm thinking. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so actually, yeah, no, actually, I'm I'm pretty excited for this. Like, I have, you know, it's nice to have, like, a book that will encompass all of that hardcover, you know? know. I'm really excited about it. And actually I should say too, my publisher is doing a giveaway for people who pre-order it. um, Where if you pre-order it before March 15th on my link tree, there's a, there's a a click, click button for it. And you just put in your, your pre-order information. You can get entered to win a reading with me. And it's a 30 minute Skype reading. So that's if uh, pre-order get under pre-order giveaway. Yeah, it's a pre-order right. giveaway. 
It's just okay. to verify so that way people, you know what I mean? It's like a page for it. We have to put in your information. Gotcha. I am not a computer guy, so I'm not going to pretend like I know how it works. But I do know that you put your information in from like your your receipt. <laughs> hmm. Okay. And then there'll gotcha. be more after that. I think we're going to do another one after March 15th as well. So at least until now, that's what I've got. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I think. I think that'll about do it unless there's anything okay. else you want to bring up real quick. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, there we go. Like I said, I've linked to her links in the show notes so you can go and pre-order the book. I have pre-ordered the book. I think it's going to be a good one. It comes out May 11th. And uh, that is the show. If like Robin, you would like to get on and talk about your paranormal experience, your small town legend, UFO sighting, your cryptid encounter, your kind of true crime, claim the fame in a small town, or anything like that. Uh, you can do it many ways. Uh, you can go to social media. I'm at STScast on Twitter and Facebook and uh, TikTok. And I am on Instagram at STScast.gram. That's how we... we she got, we got a hold of each other on Twitter. Uh, but you can also go to stscast.com, and down at the bottom of the main page, there's an email form that you could fill out to uh, get me your story and let me know how you want to handle it. Do you just want me to read it? Do you have an article for me? Do you want to come on like Robin did, and we can record it? Or you could even just send in your own pre-recorded thing if you want to. There are a bunch of ways to do it, and uh, we'll get it. we'll get it on the show. Also at stscast.com, you will find all the sources, the episode notes, the pictures, all of that is on there under the episodes tab. Like I said, you'll find the Patreon and that uh, on the support tab. You'll find merch for t-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers. I just switched over to a new store, so I actually have uh, some new stuff that I wasn't able to get on with the other store, so that's kind of exciting you can check all that out at stscast.com and uh that's it that's the end of the show like i said thanks everyone for listening thanks uh for supporting the show and if you like the show and you do want to support it and you can't do it financially via like patreon or buying a shirt or whatever uh please leave a rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice especially itunes and uh just tell a friend so you know, every time you guys tell someone and they listen and they like the show, the audience just gets bigger and bigger. So there you go. Thank you. Have a good week. I'll be back in a couple for the season five two-part finale. That's coming up already, end of the season. And uh, I think I think it's going to be an interesting one. I'm going to go a little bit different route than what we normally do. So until then, remember, every town has a secret what is yours?
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 